Welcome to the fourth episode of the Bounce Pass, brought to you by the Sports Mecca. I'm your host, Stephen Abramo, and today I'm joined with a few colleagues of mine, Sam Hengeli and John Fitzgerald, a.k.a. The Fitz, to talk everything Kansas basketball and college hoops. So how are you doing today, Fitz? I'm good, man. Um, I, you know, I've been going through some, uh, some health stuff lately, so just trying to work through a lot of that stuff. But um, I feel like everything's on the up and up. And then I won a Twitter contest where I got some uh, brand new Adidas Ultra Boost shoes. And those things are not cheap. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. So it's been a good day. That's good. I'm glad that you're going to be part of this episode. How are you doing today, Sam? I'm doing good. Um, just uh, wondering why uh, why people would spend $3,500 to see a regular season game. Yeah, <laughs> dude, the ticket prices. Aren't they, for the North Carolina Duke game, aren't they just, aren't they the same price as the Super Bowl this year? Yeah, it's like right about there. That is absolutely insane. I don't think KU, I don't think Allen Fieldhouse has a ticket like that's over 2000 Yeah. I, I wonder what the prices were for the K versus MU game in 2012. Yeah. I think, like, the cheapest ticket was, like, 400 bucks, maybe. Yeah, man. It, it It's insane. But, you know, I heard that there was a lot of celebrities that are going to be at the game. Like, I heard uh, Barack Obama's going to be there. I heard there was, like, a couple of NBA players that are going to be at the game. They don't go back after the all-star break until tomorrow so it's going to be an absolute show but fortunately this podcast is not going to be talking about duke we might get a little we might talk a little bit about that towards the end when we talk about player of the year candidates but this is strictly going to be Candace basketball we're going to be kind of going down the line of you know what's kind of gone on this season because there's been a lot. There's been a lot of turmoil. There's been a lot of maneuvering. Uh, we'll probably talk about how the season's kind of transpired. Uh, the Big 12 race. I know that's been a very eventful uh, conference race this year. And then we'll probably lead that into the Player of the Year candidates. And we'll probably end there. Um, does that sound good with you guys? Yeah. Yes, sir. Sounds good. Okay. Right back into it about KU. Uh, they're twenty and six on the season. They're nine and four in the Big Twelve. You know they started off the season number one in the country. You know they had some really good wins in November uh, and in early December. You know against Tennessee, Michigan State, Villanova, Marquette. Really, it looked like this team was really starting to mesh and really started to be a team that was not only going to compete for the Big Twelve, but be a threat in the NCAA tournament, you'll be contend for a number one seed, have maybe only a handful of losses entering the NCAA tournament. But both of you guys know, you know, they've hit a little bit of a rough patch, you know, after Azubuke kind of went down in midway through December, they kind of hit a lull, you know, they lost Arizona state. Sam actually went to that game. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. <laughs> God, I mean, Kansas, I thought they they played pretty well in that game up until the last five minutes. You know, that loss to Arizona State kind of has been the theme for them when they've been on the road this year. Lost just two games that I didn't think were possible at the start of the season. You know, at West Virginia, at Texas, really bad losses. You know, loss at K-State. Almost blew the game at Baylor. You know, it's been a really tough go-around for them on the road. Um you know, I can this is kind of an open discussion here regarding all the topics that we're talking about tonight, but um Fitz can talk about it or Sam can talk about it. I don't it doesn't I don't mind who goes first, but kind of give your thoughts on how the season's kind of played out because there's been a lot of stages. It's definitely had a lot of ups and downs. It started off obviously uh really strong. And the crazy thing is when we went nine and oh with Doak, uh we still weren't playing the type of basketball that we, we expected. There was a couple of players that hadn't quite stepped up yet, so we were positive that um, you know they would step up and then uh, things would get even better. And we're talking about after beating teams like Tennessee, Michigan State, Illinois, and Marquette, you know. Um, well, then Dope gets hurt, 
you know, so that throws a wrench into things. And the thing, the reason he hurts so much with this team is he is a true down-low presence. And he's a guy that could just stay down-low. Uh, and the dude has so much power and so much strength. It's really difficult for teams to, to guard a guy like that that has that much uh, much power. So, because not a lot of teams, they don't really have guys that are that big. So, uh, it really kind of changed everything that we had to do, uh, you know, so we were pretty much stuck with Lawson down low. And we have a couple other guys uh, that are decent, but they're not guys that you count on uh, on the offensive end. So, uh, and with, with Lawson, he's not that power type of guy. He's more of a finesse, kind of old school, smooth type of player. He's very good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it just it just changed things up so much. And then we've really had to rely on the shooting as well. And this team is not a very good shooting team. You know, so, and that's really shown. I mean, we've been 11-6 and six in the games without Dokes. So we've lost some games, like the Arizona State game. Um, it was a, was a rough game to lose at West Virginia. You, should, you know, that team this year is, is really rough. They've been through more stuff than we have. And that game, I think, could be a killer for us when it comes really down to the Big 12 race. But... You know, things are starting to come together again. You know, we, it's like we had two different teams this year. And we were kind of on the right track. And then we had to kind of back up and start over again. So we had that rough patch. Things are now starting to pick up again because the guys are starting to play together. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see, man. It's, it's been up and down. Yeah, for sure. I, it was like the first 20 games when, like, we had, like, everybody healthy and we were playing. We even even with some of the games like early in the season, we Kane didn't even play that well. Like they they had a little bit of trouble against Vermont. Like, and, but then uh, Legero Vic had thirty two points, and Lawson actually went scoreless that game. And then uh, the game against it was like the, against the Raging Cajuns. Uh, they they uh, were down by twelve in the first half and had to pick it up when. Uh, Diedrich Lawson and Yudoka Azabuki came back in, and they were able to pick it up, and Vic was able to bail them out with their shooting in that one. And then the Stanford game where they almost lost, but uh, thankfully LeGerald Vic caught fire in the second half and prevented KU from getting upset at Allen that day, too. So, I mean, this this team started out really slow, and then Dope goes down, and then, like, we barely beat New Mexico State at Sprint Center, and then, uh, then of course, we had that loss against ASU. So, it it's definitely been interesting. Like this team has definitely been up and down. Like, like I've watched like many, like almost every game, and uh, it's like I think part of their road struggles is I feel like they don't have that that true like leader yet. Like Devon Dotson is heading that way, but like if you think about it, like when we played tough games last year, when we we had like Devonte Graham was our leader and Speed was there. Then the year before we had Frank Mason and Graham was. A leader as well mm-hmm. and then he had a like that year before he had like perry ellis frank mason wayne selden those guys with experience so i think uh like this team they start out because they they weren't they hadn't played really any any that most of them were red, either red shirts or they were fresh incoming freshmen so they had to learn a lot and like i feel like all everything is starting to come together at the right time mm-hmm. yeah uh, both of you guys make some really good points. Um, kind of alluding to Sam's point about the experience. You know, I think people underestimate how tough it is to constantly win by recruiting freshmen. And, you know, Candace hasn't, they're not Kentucky. They're not Duke. You know, Bill Self doesn't usually recruit one-and-dones. You know, he usually doesn't have a starting lineup of four or five freshmen. Um, this year, it's they've been kind of forced to be in this situation because Azubuke's out for the year, and Gerald Vick, you know, a couple last, I believe a couple weeks ago, he took a leave of absence, and that's kind of really forced... Devon Dodson to be in a much bigger role than I think he anticipated. Um, I think it's especially true for Ochai Abaji, 
Um, you know, Self had a red, had a burn his red shirt this year. Um, I don't think Abaji even thought that he was going to not only start this year, but, you know, play 30, 35 minutes a game in conference play and really be a huge lift, lift for them. So, yeah, I do think you saw a lot of their games against West Virginia, Texas, even K-State. Um, they did lack that senior leadership. And they're not going to get that. You know, they're not going to – if Vic doesn't come back this year, they're not going to have a senior for the rest of the season. But um, you could definitely tell that they, they did have a hard time putting teams away. And that was something that, just like Sam alluded to, you know – that was something that Frank Mason and Devontae Graham and Speed McKayla, Glenn and Lucas Perrielis and Wayne Selden even, because he was a junior, um, those guys thrived in those opportunities. Those guys had so much experience to lean on, and they knew how to handle those tough situations. You know, it, it just, it's, a different, it's a different year, you know, and it's not just Dotson. I think Devon Dotson, in my opinion, has probably performed – probably the best out of any freshman point guard self has had in his, in his, in his tenure. Yeah. I mean, you, you go, you go down the line, Frank Mason, Devonte Graham, uh, Tyshawn Taylor. I mean, those guys, I would say the closest you could probably say would be Tyshawn Taylor made the most impact as a freshman, but Devonte Graham came off the bench uh, as yeah. a freshman. Frank Mason, you know, played sparingly as a freshman with Wiggins and Embiid. You know, Devon Dotson has started on this team day one, and I think he's had some rough patches, but he's a dog. He's an absolute dog. I think when when it's all said and done and he graduates, because I think he's a four-year player, he's going to have a similar impact to uh, Frank Mason and uh, and Graham and Taylor. So, um, yeah, I mean, Dotson is – and forgetting yeah. Mario Chalmers is fresh, well, had a pretty decent freshman year as well, and Dotson's been a lot better, in my opinion, too. Yeah, I mean, Dotson, I mean, I have the numbers right here. He's averaging 12, uh, 12 and a half points per game, uh, nearly four assists, three rebounds. Um, and the big thing is, man, he's shooting the ball really well. I mean, he's shooting at 52% on twos, uh, 41% on threes, which, you know, the Fitz made a good point about how this is really a great shooting team. And I agree. I don't think they're a great shooting team, but they also don't take a lot of threes. I don't think that they're not a high volume shooting team like they have been in the past couple of years. Um, so I think it, it, it does kind of put a, a stress on it because I think outside of really Dotson now, I mean, Abaji is still shooting pretty well, but if you go down the list outside of Dotson Abaji, there's not a lot of guys that can make the threes consistent. Hey, Steve, I got, a, I got a stat for you. First 20 games, KU's three point rate was 32.8% and their adjusted offense was 111.8. The last six games, the three point rates at 42.2 and the, uh, the adjusted offensive rate is one sixteen point six. Yeah, um, I think that does. Yeah, th- those are good numbers. I think that kind of shows you how this team still needs to shoot the ball, and I think that's what was kind of frustrating. And it was interesting early on this season. You know, KU was winning games with Azabuke. You know, just like Fitz met, mentioned. You know, they were eleven and they're eleven and six without him, uh, but they're nine and zero with him. But even in those wins, those nine wins, KU's offense was ugly. They didn't win the game. They didn't win most of their games because they just shot really well. They just won because they were great defensively and they made the shots when they needed to. But they weren't a great three-point shooting team with Azabuke. But I think some of it could be just the fact that maybe LeGerald Vick's not on the team anymore. It's weird. I kind of want to get your thoughts on it because it seems like, to me, since Vick has been gone and i still think in my opinion i still think that vic will mean a lot to this team in the NCAA tournament if he comes back because he's a senior leader um and i hope he can whatever he's going through can correct it but you know just based on the sample size it, it does seem like KU's offense and kind of their ability to spread the floor has been better with vic um what's your thoughts on that um i would say uh, i would say it's interesting i feel like part of it is like Dedrick Lawson, I think his his impact has been a 
part of the uh, part of the reason why I think Kansas's three point shooting has gone up because he started to finally become confident in shooting the three ball. But, uh, you also have even KJ lost game. He was now shot. I think part of it is Vic's absence that they need other guys to step up and hit threes. I think also I feel like I feel like they're uh, becoming more comfortable and, and like less afraid to shoot the three. I don't know if you guys knew this, but Devontae Graham before the Texas Tech game after they lost their last two, literally FaceTimed them like right before the game and told them to shoot it every time they're wide open. I feel like that best they were able Devontae Graham like was able to get through to them and like just told them to play free and and let it fly, and I think that's what the team, this uh, Kansas is doing right now. Yeah, so uh, Fitz, what are your thoughts on kind of KU playing a little bit differently, I guess you can say even playing better with Vic out? Yeah, I, I agree with that, and part of me kind of expected it. With Vic, he's, he's a bit of a quiet guy. He's not a guy that really likes a lot of the attention, and we saw this last year as well. He started out really good, and really was best player on the team throughout the, the first uh, quarter of the season, and then he disappeared. Uh, end up losing his start spot. It's like he just kind of ducks under pressure, you know. He just, I don't want to say he folds because that's a bit much, but he just kind of ducks it. Like, he doesn't he doesn't want that, that role, that senior leadership role. And it's frustrating because, you know, we definitely need it uh, this year. Uh, but this team is really, without him, they've been put, they had their backs put up against the wall. They don't have any choice but to shoot the ball and, you know, to, to play without a senior leader. And when you don't have that senior leader, then you kind of rely more on each other uh, than looking at that senior leader saying, hey, you know, are you going to step up? What do we need to do? You tell us what we do, we'll do it. So I think that's really been a big part of them coming together. I really do hope Vic does come back. Just a couple of weeks without him will make this team stronger. And then if you throw Vic in, bring him back, he's not going to ruin that. He's not going to throw anything off. He's just going to add the ability to shoot. I don't think he would start coming back. I think Bill Self is going to stick with what he has, you know, as far as starting and keep that just the way it is. Uh, Akbaji, uh, Ochai is not going to lose that starting spot. He's been just way too good on both ends of the ball. Vic, we can really use a guy like that just because he can shoot. And he does have, you know, things to offer. But again, him, him leaving for a couple of weeks is giving this team an opportunity to, to come together and, and, you know, figure out how to play without a senior leader. Yeah, um, I think you hit it in the head. You know, with Vic gone, it has opened up a lot of opportunities for some guys. You know, KJ Lawson's been making some progress, not only as a, a defender, but, you know, as you saw against Virginia, he made like three or four threes. Um, his shooting's been better, but that's also because he's got more playing time. But, you know, Fitz, you did, you did mention about Abaji. You know, if does come back, how he's going to kind of – he's still going to be in that starting lineup. Um, I do really think it's an interesting story about Abaji and not – actually – not just Abaji, but the contrast between Abaji and how his development has been so quick um, after his shirt was burned, how he can make how he can make this much of an impact for KU on both ends of the floor. Whereas you compare it to what Quentin Grimes has done this year, and he was a star recruit, and he got a lot of praise. Um, he was viewed in a lot of mock drafts in the first round, and it just seems like. They're completely two different two different players. Like if if you were if you told a novice college basketball fan who who was a five star recruit and who has the potential to be a lottery pick down the road, they would say Abaji. And then if you tell them, oh, who was the guy who got the red shirt burned and was really thrown into the fire, you'd say, oh, Quentin Grimes. So um, I think it's a very big contrast. I kind of want to see. Both of your, I kind of want to hear both of your opinions on this. Um, you know, you know, it's it's really interesting. Uh, I feel like part of it, I feel like Obaji is just way more athletic than Grimes. Like when I see Obaji, like that man could just jump out out of the building, and like you see Quentin Grimes, like when you see him drive it to the basket, it just seems like he can't really explode. And like, yes, he, yes, he, he's such a Grimes is such an streaky shooter too, and that. That's a huge problem as well. If you can't really, if you don't have the explosiveness to get to to get baskets inside as much, mm-hmm. and like that could get like a poor shooting game for Grimes. He like it's like he'll he'll if he's not hitting shots, he'll he'll go like one at ten every game. But 
because he has that, and he can't find other ways to score, yeah. which is frustrating to me. I think, and Obaji can can score in other ways besides shooting three. Like he can, you can get him on the alley oop. He can get to the free throw line. And uh, Grimes has yet to prove that at the uh, Division One level. What do you think? I mean, I know it's tough because we aren't those players, but you know, do you think it's a just a different mindset, I guess, for Abaji? Because you know, it's just rare that a player can just turn it on that quickly. I mean, did you when when Kansas burned a red shirt when they had burned up when they burned Abaji's red shirt? Did you, did you think he was going to be a ten points per game scorer and? shoot almost 40 percent from three uh not really to be honest i thought you know i thought he'd be a strong could be a, a guy who could come off the bench make a couple could make some shots and uh maybe make some plays that could spark some uh energy and momentum i didn't see him like being like one of the best players on this kansas team at the time so fitz what is your take kind of on the contrast between uh grimes's development and abaji's development I think a lot of it plays into the fact that Grimes was, was such a top recruit and there was so much attention on him. And that's really hard to live up to um, for all those guys that are those top recruits. So it's, it's not really easy just to step on in. And we didn't really have that senior leader. I mean, Vic, obviously, but we kind of know what Vic brought. He was never really a senior leader, and I don't think – a lot of KU fans expected him to be this big-time senior leader like Frank Mason um, or uh, Devontae Graham. But uh, he just kind of stepped into a, a tough position, and he started out, you know, at the beginning of the year and uh, starting and playing. And uh, with Ochai, he was, he was on the bench for a bit, and he got a chance to kind of see the speed of the game and see it from the sideline. And I think when he came in, he was more prepared than what Grimes was when Grimes first came in. And the thing is, basketball, uh, especially at the college level, is really about momentum. And unfortunately, Grimes just, he just kind of started off rough and he's, he just hasn't found that momentum yet and that swagger. And, and he's also not near as uh, uh, athletic as Ochai. So it's not going to be as easy to him. And the speed of the game isn't going to be as easy for him to, to catch up to. So I think the big part of it, though, is, is Ochai got a chance to sit on the bench, see the speed of the game uh, before he was actually able to uh, get on the court. So he, he had an advantage there. But still, man, when you're looking at the difference between a five-star and uh, I think Ochai ended up being a four-star, I believe. Quinn Grimes is a top-ten recruit, too. So, yeah, yeah it's definitely unexpected. Uh, but I will say, when Bill was wanting to redshirt Ochai, I was not, I didn't want it to happen uh, just because when he was playing, to me, he looked like one of the best players on the court when he played the exhibition games and when he uh, he played in late night. So I was like, man, I just don't know if I, even if we have all these players, I just don't know if I'd redshirt the guy. And then when he pulled the red shirt, I was like, dude, you got to let this guy play, see what happens. You know, because we were in a rough spot and, you know, he's just been insane. Yeah, I mean, it was funny if you go on some of the mock drafts for 2020. I think it was, I think it's NBADraft.net. They have Abaji listed as like a 14th pick to Dallas next year. Yeah, I mean, nobody would have even thought that, that would be possible. In my opinion, I think there's no way Abaji stays four years. Yeah, I agree. It was crazy to think that he would stay five years. Yeah, I think the most you're going to see of Abaji is three years. Like. If he has a really, really good, plays a complete season, you know, he starts in November and then plays it all the way out, I think there's a really good chance he leaves us after a sophomore year. But I think at the, at, at the, at the absolute most, he's he's done after a junior, which, I mean, is it, good in a way. Self was able to give him that opportunity to let him develop. And if he didn't take – if I mean, think of where KU would be right now if Self never burned his red shirt. We'd be we'd be in huge trouble. Yeah, yeah, it'd be rough. Is, do you want to hear a player comparison for Ochai Abaji? A KU comparison, I should say. Yeah. He re, he reminds me so much of Ben McLemore. Just just in terms of like athleticism. Athleticism and 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 can is a very capable three point shooter. Yeah, I can see that. 
Um, and that's one thing that I've been even more impressed with is just like I said, he's shooting 39% from three, but it just, he, his stroke is smooth. He just doesn't look, um, deterred. He, he just really looks nice and calm in his, in his shooting. And that's why it just, it just makes me frustrated with Grimes because, you know, I think Grimes has the potential to be a good three point shooter. I mean, you saw it against Michigan state. It's unfortunate because, I mean, both of you guys have mentioned it uh, before, you know, Abaji just has other ways to score. But if you watch Grimes, it just feels like he's just a spot-up shooter now. Not making his three-point shots, he's really not contributing to anything on the offensive end. So um, it's really it's frustrating. Um, but I do think a Grimes, if KU wants to go deep, in the tournament, and if Vic is no longer with, if he doesn't, if he's not with the team anymore, I do think Grimes definitely needs to step up. And we did see that last year with Malik Newman. You know, Malik Newman kind of had a rough patch for his first, I would say, maybe two, two and a half months. I know a lot of Candace fans, myself included, were wondering, what the heck is wrong with this guy? I mean, he, he, transferred over from Mississippi State. He sat out in 2017 and he was supposed to be a shooter and a guy who could who can score in a lot of ways. Um and he kind of was just really feeling himself out, wasn't consistent. I mean, I believe there were games in December where he went 1 of 8, 2 of 9. You know, scored less than 10 points for like two straight weeks, but you know, in the middle of February the light turned on for him and not only did he tear it up in the Big 12 tournament, but he tore it up in the NCAA tournament. So, two against Duke in the Elite Eight. Yeah. Um, so maybe maybe the light turns on with the Grimes. You know, I do think the worst case scenario for him is he learns from his mistakes and he stays. Because I think the worst thing that could happen to him is he leaves. Because he's not the way that he's played this year. He is not getting drafted. He's not getting drafted. And. Yeah. If he can stay for his sophomore year, I think that can help his game a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Big Twelve tournament is going to be uh, really going to be telling for this Kansas team, like for Quentin Grimes. I feel like if Grimes could have a monster Big Twelve tournament, like I would feel a lot better going into March. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you saw it last year when as a bucket got down, he, he went out for the entire Big Twelve tournament with an injury with his knee and then Silvio de Sosa, uh, you know, we're not going to comment about the NCA in this podcast, but, uh, uh, I miss Silvio, but man, you saw what Silvio could do when he had the chance to play. Um, and you're starting to see a little bit of that with David McCormick. He has made some good strides. Um, I don't think he's in terms of a, a finish, just in terms of talent. I don't think he's as talented as Sosa, but, um, he's another player that would be really, really helpful um, come March. But um, kind of transitioning to a little bit more, guys, since we talked about KU, kind of how their season has kind of transpired and how it's developed, we're going to kind of transition back into the Big 12. Um, I know everybody that follows KU is very, very uh, fascinated about the streak. I know a lot of people are kind of hooked on it trying to get their 15th Big 12 title in a row. It's going to be an uphill climb. You know, right now, KU is currently second in the Big 12. They're tied with Texas Tech. Um, they're a half game back from K-State. But fortunately for Kansas, if they win out, they will at least get a share of the Big 12. I'll ask you guys this. Either of you guys can answer it. As of right now, do you think the streak will continue or do you think the streak will finally come to an end? I think Saturday's going to I think Saturday is the big game, the game that will tell us what's going to happen. I think if they win against Texas Tech, I feel like they're going to have a lot of momentum. They're going to want to get revenge on Kansas State. And uh, and then I look at Kansas' rest of their schedule. They're playing against, I mean, they got, I mean, they got, I mean, two road games. Oklahoma State, that's always a tricky place, even though, even though Oklahoma State's always been bad. Is absolutely terrible this year and uh, have a lot of issues. They they always play KU tough, and then they. But, but I think they can. They'll win. They'll win that game. And I think I have no. I I have no worries about them playing against Oklahoma. In my opinion, I think 
Dude, that could be a little bit of a trap game, but I think at this point Kansas is going to be really focused. And then I think I think senior day, if Vic is playing, I think Kansas should be able to get it done at home against Baylor. Yeah, um, I don't know that I'm as optimistic. Uh, uh, I think at this point, when you look at Kansas State's schedule, we're the only team that they're going to be uh, not favored to win. Um, and they have a pretty favorable schedule throughout the rest of the year. And, um, so, I mean, it's really – so at this point, I think it's really their, their league to lose at this point. Kansas losing to uh, West Virginia with a big shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that, that K-State game, too, man, we you really should have won that, uh, mainly because we dominated that first half. The second half, we came out and just looked like a completely different team in the worst way. Um but yeah, I, I I do see unfortunately K State uh, taking the the Big Twelve title um, to themselves. Oh. There won't be a shared with it, unfortunately. Um, KU, uh, you know, I, I think uh, this game Saturday is going to be a big game. Tech is a good team. It's going to be a tough team. We're young. Uh, we don't know if Marcus Garrett's going to play. I assume he is. He is practicing. Uh, we definitely need him. But uh, Tech, they're not good offensively, so I don't know. It, it could be an interesting game, but that's a tough game. Then we got K-State. I know it's at home, but K-State still, man, they, they play so well on the road, uh, especially this year. And then Oklahoma State. KU, I feel like they lose to Oklahoma State at Oklahoma State every single year, and this is an 11 a.m. game. Oh, no. And, but yeah, and that, that does not bode well uh, for Kansas to play against Oklahoma State 11 a.m. on a Saturday. So, yeah, man, I don't know. It's it's going to take a lot. For, for KU to win out, it's going to take a lot. And if they do win out, man, this is going to be a, a fun team to watch throughout the Big 12 tournament and the NCAA tournament. We'll see what they have. Yeah, it would be a very on-brand of Kansas to win at Texas Tech and then beat K-State and then lose by 15 at Oklahoma State. Because I think, I think Kansas is – I think – four and seven or something like they have a very bad record at Oklahoma State in Bill Self's tenure like it's one of those weird records because and and, and the problem is like KU a lot of their loss at Oklahoma State is when Oklahoma State is not good that's even more uh frustrating but yeah I do think t- to kind of agree with both of you guys Texas Tech's gonna d- really show us how good they are because you know KU is playing better they're playing better but Texas Tech is, in my opinion, pro- just in terms of talent, and then if you add in the atmosphere, that's probably going to be their toughest game that they're going to have to play. Not only for the rest of the for the, for the rest of the year in the regular season, but I think also in the Big Twelve tournament because I I just think that you know Baji Dotson they're on this three game win streak. They won at TCU. They beat uh, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State. Saying that they should have won, but it's a it's different playing those types of teams at home and then playing a very hard team on the road in TCU uh, compared to going to a very good team in Tech because Texas too Texas Tech is due similar to K State. You know KU before they played K um sorry before they lost to K State this year Barry Brown. All those seniors at, at K State were winless. They're zero and nine, or an zero and zero and three against against KU at home. Texas Tech will want this game. I mean, KU has not lost to Texas Tech since two thousand nine. They are due for a loss in Lubbock, but it's going to be a tough game. I mean, last year was a grinder. I mean, Devontae Graham showed up, and they're going to have to have a similar performance from Devon Dotson or Deidre Clausen. Like someone's going to have to show up in a big way. KU, but yeah, K State is K State's tricky because K State also has played KU really tough and home like the last two years Kansas has almost lost like if you go if you can remember Mikhailu got the game winner in 2017 at home and he took like 10 steps I mean yeah and then last year K-State had the final shot they had a last chance to win it and Bruce Weber drew up a really bad play like he does and does in most situations down the stretch and they lost so Kansas State has played K really tough in outfield outs K-State's not going to be afraid next Monday, but it you know it would be a very big accomplishment if they can get 15 in a row. I'm not. I think since they got the record, they won 14 in a row, which is the most ever. I'm not going to sit here and say if they don't win the Big 12, then the season's a wash because I still think they can they can be a very good team if they don't win the Big 12. But it would be nice.
price to win it considering how much they've gone through. Yeah, and just, uh, just to say this, uh, K-State plays, K- KU and K-State play on my birthday. The 25th on Monday is my birthday, so that's going to be an uh, interesting day. It'd be real nice for a birthday present if KU can, can pull it off. And, and a big way, too, not just a close game, talking like 20, 30 points. I, I would appreciate that. Yeah, hey, and, uh, you know, February 25th has been kind to Kansas uh, in recent memory. You know, KU border war, uh, the last border war of the season when they came back from like a 1,000 down was on February 25th. And Elijah Johnson 39-point outbreak was on February 25th. So February 25th is a good day in KU history. But, You're welcome, KU. But it is—it actually is interesting that you mentioned how like it would be really good if they won by 20 or 30 points. If KU beats Texas Tech 10 and 4, and K State is 11 and 3, because I'm assuming that uh, they win on Saturday. Do you guys know who they play? Oklahoma State, so yeah. you can book that as a win. Yeah, they will beat Oklahoma State. The game, if Kansas enters that game with four conference losses and K-State has three conference losses, that game on Monday kind of has a similar feel to when they played in 2013. If you guys can remember that, K-State had like a four-game lead-up on KU that, at that point, and like Jeff Withy just went to town in that game. They absolutely slaughtered Ben McLemore's, that was Ben McLemore's birthday, and he had like 30. Yeah, yeah. Like, that would be a vintage Kansas win. Just like, absolutely destroying them. I don't think it's going to happen, but... One thing you know, Alan Fields is going to be rocking the whole game. It will be, man. I w- so... We've talked about KU's Big 12 hopes. We've talked about KU's uh, kind of where they're at right now. Just as I know I didn't mention, I, didn't, I know I didn't say that we're going to talk about this earlier, but we'll talk about it briefly and we'll transition into the final part of the show about kind of the player of the year. Before we transition to that, what do you guys think has to happen for Kansas to make a deep run? I don't mean make it to the 16. I make, I mean, to the final four um somehow like what do you think has to happen well here i think uh i think the first start the started off they have to get into like the right region i think if they could get into the midwest region or if they get into the region with virginia i think i i think that would be like their best chance to start off with and then from like from a player's perspective i think uh I think someone like I think Grimes, or they need to get Vic to come back and just absolutely like be magma hot in the tournament, and even like a guy like KJ Lawson to step up, because you know Diedrich is going to be consistent in my opinion. Uh, I think Dotson will be consistent in March. Um, I think I think Obaji will will hit, will uh, have some more glimpses. I think, and uh, but I believe it's going to come down to. Vic, if he can come back, or if not, like Quentin Grimes or KJ Lawson, just have just come out of nowhere and have a monster tournament. I think that's what's going to have to be done for KU, and even like David McCormick, maybe he can have like a huge impact inside and give KU that offensive scoring, inside presence that they need right now with Azabuki not coming back. Mm-hmm. Do, do you uh, do you fear that? Candace's youth will be the reason why they were to le- were to lose early. Like I'm talking first or second round. Yeah, I think I think so in a way. I think yeah, because I mean, like this is mostly the most of these guys on this roster besides uh, Marcus Garrett and Lajeral Vic have not played in an NCAA tournament game. Did Diedrich Lawson play in an NCAA tournament game when he was at Memphis or no? No, I think they 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 didn't make the postseason either those two years. So this would be their first go round, which which is definitely scary to think about if you're a KU fan. <laughs> yeah, uh, as far as a deep run, I think the, the most important player if KU wants to make a deep run is got to be Quentin Grimes. Uh, you can you know nitpick all the other players and say, well, hey, if he steps up, if he steps up. KU does not make it past the Sweet 16 without Quentin Grimes stepping up. So he's got to figure out what he's trying to do. You know, he's he's got to figure out his shot. He's going to be a shooter. Take the shots. You know, don't hesitate. Shoot often and shoot well. Uh, you know, and he, he I've seen him. He, he can pass. You know, the guy can really dish the ball. Do more of that. 
you know, maybe drive a little bit and dish the ball, dish the ball off. Um, you know, but he's he's got to be that player that steps up. Uh, he's a top ten recruit, and we expected so much out of him. And we just cannot make a deep run unless he steps up. He's a starter as well, you know. He, he plays a lot of minutes, so he's he's just got to. Without him, man, it's uh, it's going to be ugly. And I think it does play um, depend on the matchup as well. If we play a team that shoots a lot of threes and they make a lot of threes, we're in trouble, man. It's not going to be it's not going to be pretty. We'll lose real early. So because our perimeter defense is. It's rough, you know. Uh, we let teams we just let teams shoot open too many times, and uh, I think that could be a real big downfall in the tournament. And, uh, and going to your question there, Stan, as well, I think uh, absolutely this young team uh, it could be a reason why they do lose early. You know, when you see a lot of these teams that do win and and go deep in tournaments, win the championship. They're not usually very young teams. They're experienced teams. They have an experienced point guard. Um, you know, I mean, look at Villanova last year. So, uh, yeah, man, it's uh, the odds are stacked up against us. I'll say that. But either way, they're playing better now, so it could be fun at least. Right. I think a Sweet 16 would be a successful tournament run for KU this year. No, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think considering all the things that have gone on, you know, lose as a bouquet uh, for the entire season, potentially lose Vic for the entire for the for the remainder of the season. Um, Desosa isn't you know never gets cleared to play. Um, yeah, those are three guys that are really huge to their team, to them. Um, oh yeah, Sweet Sixteen would be a, an achievement, but. You know, Marcus Garrett could. I actually think he will be a big difference maker if they were to make a run. But I think Quentin Grimes is pretty much the only guy that uh, has to play well. Um, but to uh, Fitz's point about their perimeter defense, I do think their perimeter defense gets shored up a lot if Garrett plays, um, because Garrett can defend one through four. Um, he can. He has. Not only is he six five, but he has great length. Um, he can he can disrupt passes um, along the perimeter. He can he can uh, just be a pest to teams on defense. Um, but I mean, he he will play. Marcus Garrett will play in the tournament um, um, after he comes back from the injury. Um, and I do think it also, just like Sam mentioned matchups um we we already know KU is not going to be a one seed i think kansas if they were to get if they were to win out they would probably would be a two so most likely kansas is going to enter the NCAA tournament as a three seed um if they lose a couple more games and they maybe have nine or ten losses and i can see a, I, a four seed in there but they're probably going to be a three or four seed um, it could be a dangerous four seed if they end up being a four potentially if they get big back. Right, but it depends on like what it depends on like what region they are in the four because if they end up playing in Kansas City in their Sweet Sixteen game, which I know probably would scare a lot of KU fans considering the Oregon game, and I know it would scare Sam because he went to that game. That's why only the Arizona State Oregon game is like the only two K, or the only two KU losses I've witnessed in person. I mean, you just you just can't see KU play any uh, big games anymore, man. If you get yeah, tickets, it's to the pretty game. frustrating. I but I was at the KU West Virginia game when they came back from fourteen down. Hey, that's that's true. You just don't go to any games when KU does not play down the field house, and you're good. Um, <laughs> but. It honestly depends on like who their one seed is too. You know, I don't know. Now, granted, Zion Williamson is out right now. In my opinion, if Zion Williamson is back and and Duke has a a hundred percent healthy roster, and K runs into them, there's a very very slim chance Candace wins that game. Um, and I don't think Candace would beat a Gonzaga either. Um, I don't think they would beat Kentucky. I think the only one seed K would have a chance of beating would be like Tennessee, which I know sounds weird because Tennessee only has two losses, 
but Tennessee has also not played well lately. And I think Virginia is probably the most vulnerable in an Elite Eight situation because um, the pressure that Tony Bennett has on him. Because I don't know, dude. After losing to UMBC last year, they're they have no excuse to not at least make the the final four because the pressure on them is enormous. So if Candace were to get them, K would be the underdog and that would be a situation I think they could be um really dangerous in. But again, we'll see how that goes. That would be a huge rock fight. Oh God. Yeah, Fitz uh I don't know if he knows the term rock fight, but um rock fights are kind of what Sam and I classify games that are like in the low 60s and teams just shoot terrible. That would, that would be like if if uh, KU goes like 3 of 15 from 3 and Virginia goes like 2 of 18 and the score is like 61 to 59. Like that's a classic rock fight of a game. <laughs> But yeah, absolutely. I can see that. But well, kind of the last, just like I mentioned, the last segment of this podcast is kind of just our thoughts on the player of the year. Um, you this can go different ways. You know, you guys can list off your top three player of the year candidates, or you guys can just lift list off uh, the front runner and why they should win the award. So it can go multiple ways. I don't really have a preference. Um, I'll probably start off. I think that there's a lot of, I I think it's a year with no clear cut winner. You know, I think when when uh, Frank Mason won in seventeen, I think he was winner. I think when Jalen Brunson won it last year, he was hands down the favorite. I know Zion. I think Zion is the front runner, but I just don't think Zion Williamson is like the unanimous winner in my opinion. Like, I think. When he's healthy, he can do everything on the court. I mean, the dude's averaging 22 points a game, nine rebounds, almost two blocks, shooting 75% on twos. He's a freak in nature. But I think the competition's there. Like, John Morant from Murray State is electric. Marcus Howard from Marquette is electric. And, heck, his own teammate, R.J. Barrett, is just as good as Zion. Um, I don't think he's, I think Zion's going to be the number one pick in the draft, but, uh, RJ Barrett's been really good this year. So I don't think there's a, I don't think Zion's a clear cut winner, but I think those are probably the top four guys. Yeah. I, my favorite, my favorite pick, which is probably not the most popular pick by people. I want to say Marcus Howard from Marquette, like, like that guy. I mean, he's had like multiple, he's had a 50 point game, multiple 40 point games and then a numerous amount of 30 point games i mean he's playing he's literally carrying marquette and like marquette could be a dangerous team in march to be honest if he's absolutely shooting lights out um i think i think he i think he does he, he deserves the uh player of the year as well i think jay morant i think he, i think he's a strong consideration of course i mean when you're averaging a double double i mean that just shows you that you can play and you know the game very well. So, but, yeah. I don't really give it to Zion Williamson, honestly. I just I just think his team is just so good. And, like, I feel like I feel like Duke – well, I mean, if Zion's out for the year, I don't think – I think their uh, chances at the Final Four are, very, are a lot more slim. But I think they still are capable of making a Final Four run, even without Zion Williamson, to me. Yeah, so you're kind of thinking, you know, Zion, even though he's having this great season, he still has a a running mate on his team like R.J. Barrett that can still carry the load, whereas Marcus Howard kind of has to do everything for Marquette. Yeah, I'm I'm just thinking it from that perspective. Yeah, I agree with you. And, hey, you know, other than uh, Anthony Davis, I think Anthony Davis is like – one, the last freshman to win the award. I might be wrong, but uh, I know at least recently it's been a award that's been won by seniors because I believe Buddy Heald won in 2016. 16, 2015. Now, who, I think who was won it, that? Was it uh, Frank Kaminsky? 
Yeah, I think I think I want to say it was uh, 2014. I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't think it was a. I don't think it was a freshman. Twenty fourteen was. Wiggins, that was the year. Wiggins, Embiid, uh, Jabari Parker, Julius Randle. That was their freshman. That was that freshman class right there. Aaron Gordon. Yeah. Well. McDermott. I think it was McDermott because he was like absolutely unstoppable that year. Yeah. Um, and I think 2013 was Trey Burke, that a name that we will not mention. Yes, um, yeah. I already me- I already mentioned his name, but uh, shoot that guy into the sun. Oh God, dude, that will ne- that will always be. Yep, yep. Trey Burke won it. So yeah, dude, Anthony Davis is the last freshman to win it. He won it in 2012. Uh, Jimmer Fredette won it in 2011. Evan Turner, which is probably okay. Evan Turner has to be the most random player of the year winner in college basketball in a long time. Like, dude. And then Blake Blake Griffin won it in 2009. He was a freshman, I believe. You know what I mean? No, so, he was a oh. sophomore because oh. he, he was a freshman from oh, in 07, 08. Oh, okay. Uh, and then, I, which is shocking because Tyler Hansborough was a senior that year and he was absolutely unstoppable as well. Yeah, and then, and then Tyler Hansborough won in 08. Uh, so the only two freshmen of, that have won it recently, I guess recently, uh, is Kevin Durant in 07 and Davis in 2012. So definitely the odds are stacked up against R.J. Barrett and Zion. Um, so uh, Fitz, do you really have a do you have kind of a a name in mind that you think should be the front runner, or do you think that it's kind of a a very close race? Um. I think it really should be Marcus Howard or uh, Marcus Howard or uh, Jay Morant. So uh, both of them are just excellent players. Marcus Howard's the arguably the best uh, offensive player in the league. Um, you know, the dude, he's just fantastic. I mean, you just really can't say enough about him. And the fact that he's scored, uh, like Sam was saying, you know, he's had some fifty-point games or forty-point games. Um, it's just insane, man. The guy can can ball, and he he's he is the most valuable player on his team. Without him, Marquette isn't going to the tournament. Um, you know, so but now with him, they're a team that can be very dangerous in the tournament and make a deep run. So, uh, yeah, man, I think it, it, he to me is the front runner uh, with uh, Jay Moore second. Uh, unfortunately, having said all that. I I do think that Zion Williamson's actually going to win it. I don't think he deserves it, but I just have that feeling uh, that that's where it's going to end up. Just because he is that explosive a player, uh, he's just you know he's that guy that everybody has to see, everybody wants to see because he's a he's a rare specimen, you know. And I hate to say it, but the guy is just it's just insane how how big he is, you know, with how young he is and how dominant of a player he actually is. So uh, I don't think he deserves the player of the year, but I think uh, he'll end up being the one that does win it. Hey, anybody seen, like, how Zion Williamson's injury that his shoe blew up while he got injured? Yeah, I saw that in their Nike shoes, and people are giving Nike crap about it. Yeah, oh, yeah I wonder how much... Uh, it'd be- how much money you got paid by Nike just to have that shoe get blown up? Oh, oh man, Sam. <laughs> um, dude, one thing I've uh have realized when you guys have been talking about the player of the year, I have butchered Morant's name. I keep calling him John Morant, but it's really Jay Morant. Without the Y. And now I, I guess it- I guess if he was playing at a bigger school, I think we'd be able to pronounce his name, in my opinion. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm like, I've, ever since I've seen him play at the beginning of the season, I've called him John Morant, and now everybody calls him Jay Morant, so I don't know. Maybe I've gotten the name wrong. Uh, Dude's a baller, though. God. I think think Murray State could be the Cinderella team in March because of that. Watch Morant just go off against Duke in the Sweet 16 and beat him. That'd be high. 
Duke will be like uh, a one seed in, in Murray State. Uh, Murray State actually has a good record, so they're probably not going to be that low. Um, what are the uh, Sam? Do you know if, what seed they're projected to be right now? Uh, what do you what do you mean by that? Like, does Jordan already have them like as a five seed or an eight seed? Like, what seed are they projected as? Right now. Uh, I'm pulling it up right now. Just give me a moment. I think. Was... They're not in uh, Duke's region. They are. They are not. They are. A, they are a 13 seed. Oh man, oh. that will be that. Jesus. Please don't match them up against Kansas. <laughs> not the first game. That would be. That would be our matchup. Would be a. Morant just pops off for 45. <laughs> but the good news is, Lenardi has them in the West regions against Texas Tech. Yeah, oh, yeah, boy. yeah. We'll see, we'll see what Chris Beard can do. The defensive genius. We'll see what Chris Beard can scheme up against Morant. That yeah. would be a great yeah. game. We just put them in the West region. Don't put them in the Midwest. Yeah, man. Yeah, keep that team away from us. Dude, I would love to see Morant and Murray State go up against, like, Virginia. Oh. <laughs> that poor team, man. Think about, think about all the pressure of Virginia. Like, Virginia is in, the, is in the Sweet 16. They've blown out their first two opponents. And then uh, they get to stop Morant. And, oh, my God. I, dude, I... I don't know if I'll be like, dude, Tony Bennett, God bless him before that game. Oh, my God. Yeah. The thing about Virginia, man, is uh, they are set up just very well for a team that's shooting hot. And that's the thing with the NCAA, you you know, the tournament, if you want to win it, you got to be hot offensively. And Virginia, they're going to run into that team at some point if they want to win it. And uh, unfortunately, just the way they play, I just don't think they had a chance. I would never win, uh, pick them to win the, t- uh, the tournament just because of the way they play. Uh, you can, you have to win with you – know, the only way you can win in March, I feel like, is you have to be a really good three-point shooting team. You have to be an up-tempo team, and you have to be a very good defensive team. Like, you have, you're built good enough to win the rock fight. Yeah. Like, because um, yeah. I think I mean Virginia has proven that they can they can win um, by you know by playing good defense. But you saw against UMBC, um, even though you you know even though UMBC went just bonkers from three, Virginia just didn't have the arsenal to score with them because they I mean they're Virginia is an efficient offense, but it's one thing to be efficient and another thing to be. Uh, you know, I guess it, I guess I'm being contradictory. I was gonna say effective, but maybe you can like. If there's one thing to be an efficient offense and score 65 a game, and there's one thing being efficient offense and scoring like 85. Uh, that's yeah. Just like Fitz mentioned, like if Virginia runs into a team that just is that just goes bonkers from three, Virginia does not have the personnel to match them. Yeah, and if and if like if it's a rock fight, like I still wouldn't trust Virginia because I wouldn't trust them to be able to score down the stretch. Like compared to like the they're a team that they're playing against who's a better shooting team. Right. That's why I kind of want. That's why I kind of feel like if Kansas were to match up with Virginia like late, like a Sweet Sixteen or Elite Eight type matchup, um. You know, KU would go would be past the first weekend, uh, angst. I mean, granted, KU's been they've been pretty fine in the first round and second round uh, recently. They've been they've gotten through their through that fine, but because this team has a lot of freshmen, if they get through those first two weeks, first two games, I should say, and then they were to get hot from three and they were to play Virginia, that would be a great matchup for them. But uh. And that might be a matchup because I, I I only think Virginia or Tennessee are going to be a one seed in the Midwest. That is if KU gets a one seed. Sorry, if KU gets a uh, three 
a three or a, four, a three or two season Midwest. But that is probably something that we won't know for another two or three weeks. So, um, yeah, I think we've done a really good job talking about the points. Um, do any of you guys kind of have kind of final thoughts about not just Kansas, but kind of, you know, the, the rest of the college, anything college basketball related? What do you guys want to say before we end it? Um, you know, I just uh, really hope Kansas can, you know, the, the Big 12, man, it would just be so unfortunate to lose the Big 12 to Kansas State, uh, uh, to lose the streak to them. So, really crossing my fingers that Bruce Weber does what he does, <laughs> just somehow, somehow blows it. Um, you know, but I can't say enough. As much as I dislike K-State, I can't see enough about how impressive they've been this year, especially on the road. Uh, Barry Brown, who is just on fire lately. Dean Wade, obviously, is a stud. Um, you know, they, they just – and they play defense, man. They just have such a solid defense. Uh, you know, but still, man, I just – I you know, if Kansas even going to win it, I am rooting for Texas Tech because I love Chris Beard. Um, I do not like Bruce Weber one bit. Um, but I do like their team. I think they have a solid team. So, yeah. I don't know, I guess, uh, you know, hopefully Kansas makes a run, and, and hopefully we can get at least a share. If not, then I, I guess I'd be rooting for uh, for Texas Tech. Yeah, I like te- – I'm a huge fan of uh, Chris Beard in Texas. But I thought uh, – I didn't like – I kind of – I honestly had mixed feelings when Chris Beard yelled at that locked-on for Duncan at the end of the game. Sure, it may have been like a – maybe he shouldn't have done it, but I mean – the dude's never going to get, like, an opportunity to probably dunk in an alley-oop again. Like, come on. Like, that was yeah, a, you got to let him have fun. Yeah, you got to let him have that one. Like, that was a, uh, a very – I don't know if you guys remember when uh, Bill Self called Brandon Green's dunk late against K-State a, uh, a dick move. Uh, that, yeah, yes, that, that that will be yes, the, uh, that will be not that will be on the podcast. But uh, that kind of that kind of rem- reminds me a little bit about that. I mean, Brandon Brandon Green just got absolutely thrown in the doghouse for that. Play, yeah. But uh, yeah. but I mean, Brandon Green was a freaking junior who was on scholarship and got playing time. So, yeah, unlike that yeah. octagon. Yeah. And it was like not even like mess. It was like one of the weirdest things. I didn't. Even, I wasn't even like paying attention. And like he dunks it, the funny thing is like the clock operator just kept the clock rolling. <laughs> like yeah. it was such a weird, fun, weird moment. Like, mm-hmm. yep, and yeah, it's definitely two contrast: a walk-on who doesn't play, and then Brandon Green, who is a scholarship player that plays. But hey, they were still fun moments, regardless. I they, they, I still enjoyed them. Uh, Texas Tech fans probably. Uh, hopefully they weren't looking at my tweets because I kind of got um a little into I kind of dug a little bit into Chris Beard um <laughs> but but yep um if that's the case uh I think if you guys don't have any other things to say college basketball later to KU really I think we can kind of uh, put put a bow on this um for reference fits uh. If you want, if you want people, if you want the world to know your Twitter, do you want to mention your uh, Twitter handle? Yeah, for sure. You guys can follow me at FitzDaddy85, F-I-T-Z-D-A-D-D-Y-85. And, uh, I, again, uh, my Twitter name is Fitz. I, I did a Twitter poll to ask if they prefer me to stay as the Fitz or to put my full name, uh, which is John Fitzgerald, and they chose the Fitz, so uh, by quite a bit. So I'm I'm gonna stick with uh, with that name. But yeah, give me a follow. All right. Yep. I def- I definitely will. Uh, will do that later. But uh, Sam knows my Twitter handle. It's uh, at Flax on Flax. Definitely, it's not. It's weird because it's different than my actual name, uh, Stephen Abramo. And uh, Sam, what's uh, the best way people can follow you on Twitter? I am at PG Sam Hengeli three. So my 
were PG, and then my first and last name, then the number three. All right, yeah, that sounds good. And um, <laughs> just like, I mean, Sam knows, but for future reference, uh, the best way to follow the Sports Mecca is at the Sports Mecca, capital T H E, uh, capital S for sports, and then Mecca. That's where this podcast will be posted on. It'll be tweeted on. Uh, be tweeted out hopefully in a couple of days. So, um, if that's the case, guys, um, I think we can kind of uh, end it. So, uh, well, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a it was a pleasure. I enjoyed it. You know, your your insight about KU was really uh, informative. I'm glad we were able to get you on. For sure, man. You guys have a good night. All right. Thanks, you too, Fitz. Yeah, you do the same, man. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, Stephen. See you guys. Once again, thank you, everyone out there listening to The Bounce Pass. We look forward to producing Episode 5 very soon. So have a good one.